Good morning. Uh, we love Morgan. She's one of our college students, as she said. And uh, we're a big fan of Power Up Clubs, just as Matt talked about. And it does not just impact the kids that we have the clubs with. It also impacts people like Morgan. I think if you were to show up to our middle school, high school, or college program, uh, weekly stuff, and you were to say, hey, what are, what are the top three ways the Lord showed up in your life? Uh, I'm pretty convinced most of them would share about Power Up Clubs in some capacity. That for many of our students, it's in the, the top three biggest ways the Lord's worked in their life. And so as we do this push for host homes, uh, it's with this thought that, hey, when you, when, you are, when you step into the host home role, you make your front yard a place for, for people to meet Jesus, not just the kids, of course the kids, but also the parents and, our, and many times our students who are serving in that capacity. And a little update for our goal to get 80 and, and 30, 84 and 30. We're at 52, which is wonderful. Thank you for the many people who have said yes, but we're still, we're still pushing on. So I hope you'll, you'll join us in that. Um, my name, if you, maybe you've seen me around, maybe you haven't, my name is Ryan Toller. I have the absolute pleasure of serving on staff as the college pastor, and I also help out uh, Bill Winton in the middle school uh, program as well. So you'll see me on Wednesday nights with middle schoolers and Sunday nights with our college students, and it's an absolute joy. Uh, if you are uh, married to a wonderful woman whose name is Hannah, maybe you've seen her around, kind of a big news for us is she is pregnant with our first, which we're really excited about. Yes, yes, yep. So we're, she's in the third trimester and she's really pumped about it and I'm really scared about it, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up with all boys in my home basically and so uh, pregnant, I was never around pregnant women before, so it's been a, it's been a learning experience to say the least. <laughs> and I, part of my reason that I'm scared is I, uh, growing up, I was a complete menace to my parents, okay? So, like I took on a part-time job of annoying them constantly. And I can't tell you the many times I've heard, Ryan, just wait until you have a boy. <laughs> And that didn't, that didn't mean anything to me until about a couple months ago where I'm looking at uh, this ultrasound and it's a baby boy and we're thinking, oh boy, he, it, he's going to annoy me to the same capacity I annoyed my parents. I just feel bad Hannah has to carry him for nine months, but uh, we're really excited, really pumped and uh, thankful for health so far. It's been an answer to prayer. And uh, a big thank you for many of you guys our families live all across, really our families live in different parts of the country, and you guys have uniquely met a need of family as we have moved to Jacksonville in the last four years, so very thankful for that. Uh, but if you have not been with us, we have been uh, walking through the book of James. And what's true of James is also kind of true of Proverbs, where if Proverbs is all about wisdom, the writer kind of takes a part of life, provides wisdom, goes to another part, provides wisdom. James does something, James does, does something very similar, where he is writing about a bunch of parts of the Christian life and he is providing wisdom according to them. And so we've been walking through James with this mindset of what is the truth that we need to know when, and then James lists a bunch of circumstances and provides truth to them, right? What's the truth we need to know when we're angry? 
What's the truth we need to know when we're tempted or when we're confused or, or when we need to evaluate our religion? Is it a pure religion that I'm living or is it a defiled religion that I am living? And uh, of course he carries, there's some main themes in James and whatnot, but it's been cool to, it's been cool to walk through the circumstances of life according to James as he provides uh, scripturally based truths that we should operate in those circumstances. And today we're walking into chapter two to, to hit another truth that we need to know when, and chapter two will show us. But today, I love today because it is all in the context of the body. Uh, people who are believers, James is directly addressing them here and specifically has a unique place as he is going to address something that I think is true for all of our lives. And that is, for much of what we think and decide, we do so based off what will benefit us, right? I think this way because it'll benefit me. I'll act this way because it'll benefit me. And James is going to take a very unique place in our life where we do something in order to benefit ourself. And so just jumping in, we'll be in uh, verse one of chapter two. And this, he starts off from the beginning. He says, my, my, brethren, my brethren, do not hold your faith and our Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Uh, I, I love this verse. He doesn't, he, doesn't, you know, he doesn't make it difficult to understand what he's talking about. He, from the get-go, he is saying, we cannot hold faith in Jesus and favoritism in the same hand. They do not mix. They, they do not combine. It is like oil and water. You can try to mix favoring other people, playing favorites, and you can try to mix having faith in Jesus, but it's not gonna happen. You can try, but they will separate. Don't do it. And, and I think many of us could conclude why that is the case. And I'd make the case that the reason why he says this is because they do not mix because they did not mix in the life of Jesus. That Jesus, and we have many scriptures showing this, Jesus did not show partiality to any person. He did not show favoritism to anyone, right? Favoritism was not in his hands when kids were. He loved all people equally. Favoritism was not in his hands when a, a woman who was in a health crisis touched his robe and he turned around. Faith was not in his hands when he was caring for a woman. Faith was, I mean, favoritism was not in his hands as he was healing a lame man or, or healing a blind man or faith wasn't in his hands when he was healing a leopard or tending to the crowds. Faith was, I mean, sorry, I keep saying faith. Favoritism was never in his hands as he tended to people. He cared all people he cared for all people equally. And faith, favoritism, <laughs> I keep mixing up there. Favoritism was not in his hands as the nails were because he has loved, he has loved you equally as well. And so it, it does not make sense for favoritism to be true in our hands if it was not true, if it was not true in his hands. Because God doesn't look and say, God doesn't look at us and say, hey, You've done a lot of good stuff, better than most. Welcome to the family, right? He doesn't, he doesn't look at some people, hey, you look really good, better than most. Welcome to the family. It, he does not operate in that way. He does not think in that way. He has provided a way to him. And if you believe in him, you can come to him. As he gives his gift of love to all, he shows no favoritism. When I was in... I was in seventh grade when I came to know Jesus, a little middle schooler, and uh, here's a picture of me in that time. Yeah, oh yeah, I see a little afro going on. I know, I can't do that, I can't do that anymore. Uh, but I, 
Jesus, God didn't look at me and say, Ryan, you got great hair, better than most. <laughs> you know, welcome to the family. He, he just didn't do that. He doesn't look at me and say, Ryan, you got, some, you got this amount of much money in your bank account, better than most, welcome to the family. Like he, that, he, he does not operate, does not operate in that way. And we see this in Acts chapter 10 as well. A Roman soldier has just believed in Jesus and Peter, one of the disciples, opening his mouth said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And so again, he has provided, God has provided the way to him and he does not pick and choose people to circumvent that way as, as Peter shows us as Peter shows us here. He has, he's loved all people equally. And so Jesus, Jesus has extended his gift of love to all. And it does not make sense when we extend our gift of love to just some, because he, he did not. And so I think James is building the truth that we need to know when we play favorites here, as he simply says, hey, when you play favorites, we combine what should not be Faith and favoritism. When you try to do that, you combine things that, that shouldn't be. It does not make, it does not make sense because it didn't make sense with him. And what I love about this passage is James states the heart of it and then the, the next eight verses are, hit, are going to be him trying to convince you, trying to show us building, building the principle that faith can, I mean, favoritism cannot be a part in our lives. And so he goes on in verse two, four, if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you paying special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? I, I, love, I love what he's done right here because I think he, has, he is building a definition of favoritism. And, and it is this, that there were people in this time who someone walked into their assembly, they're meeting on a, on, a, on, a, on a Sunday, it wasn't a Sunday, but someone walked in with a gold ring and they saw that gold ring and they paid special attention to it because it represented wealth and it represented influence. And so they saw a gold ring and paid special attention to it to the, with the, to the expense of the person who does not have the gold ring. They, they paid special attention to one at the cost of one who did not have such a thing. And I think that that's a good way of us to think about favoritism. When I pay special attention to one at the expense, at the expense of, of another. And James is saying, listen, do not pay attention. Don't pay special attention to a gold ring. It's not gonna work out for you. It's not gonna work out for you. And it makes sense to me why James is writing this to the believers at this time. Because uh, as we established when we opened up James, this book is written to believers who were scattered because of persecution. Persecution rose up in Jerusalem and many fled their homes with their families so that they, would, they wouldn't be caught in the crossfire. And, and, and this, this principle makes sense because we have a lot of refugee Christians in this passage who are living in many different cities all across the known world at this point. And James is writing to them. And, and, and if, if anything is true of a refugee, it is they had some stuff, now they don't have that stuff. 
because they had to run away, right? <laughs> they, they had some possessions, they had some wealth, but they had to get out of town fast. And now they don't have much. And so it makes sense to me why James is writing this to them because as they, as they seek to settle down in new cities, find new jobs, get their family in a different routine, they don't have much money. And they're gathered on their typical Sunday and in walks someone with a golden ring and fine clothes. It would be very, very easy if I'm in that place of that Christian to pay special attention to them. Maybe this person, maybe this person can buy the wine and the, and the bread for communion. Maybe this person could help me get back what I lost. Maybe this person could fund our church. And I think James is uniquely writing to a group of impoverished Christians saying, don't pay attention to, to this gold ring, to a person who has, who has riches. And now I, I, I wanna say this because back then, the gold ring symbolized wealth and it symbolized influence. And, and much, of what, much of what we're going to be talking about today is modern day gold rings, right? Back then, they saw the ring and it symbolized riches and influence and they paid special attention to it. And I was asking the question of what are modern day gold rings that we as a body, we as a church might look at and pay special attention to, just as they did back then. But I wanna share I need to say this, this passage is not about whether you are rich and it's not about whether you are poor. It's not about the person who's wealthy or does not have wealth. This passage is about the person who treats people differently because of what they have. Okay, so many, I bet there's some in this room that actually have some gold rings, whether it be wealth, whether it be influence today. Having a gold ring is not wrong. I'm just gonna say that once so we get on the same page. What's wrong is when we pay special attention to it at the cost of another person. And so I, was, I asked myself, you know, back then this ring symbolized wealth and influence and they paid attention to it. But what, what are some things today? What are some gold rings today that, that represent things that we pay special attention to as a body? One that came quickly to mind was uh, just as in the ancient day, wealth was very easy to pay special attention to. I think wealth is very easy to pay special attention to in the context of the body today. That the ancient day gold ring is also a modern day gold ring. And this is, I think this is a word for the church across the world. How easy it is to pay attention to a person who has wealth in the hope that they benefit me in some way that I operate, I give accommodation to, I tailor to, I give influence to the person who could benefit me because of what they have. If last week Doug was, Doug was talking about how are we loving the people who don't have the things to love us back? This is kind of on the flip side. Are we paying special attention to someone in hopes and desire that they pay special attention back to us? And riches is, is, a, is one of those. Because it can be a very dangerous thought in our minds to think as a church, we should pay special attention to the wealthy because they build buildings and the poor use buildings, right? If James is writing to us, he's saying, don't think that, that is going to be a dangerous place for you to pay attention to the one who can build at the expense of the one who uses. And, th and this, is, this is a word for many churches. And what I, what I appreciate about at least the, the leadership of this church is, they, is our elders, we're an elder-led church, 
they have recognized the slippery slope that happens when we begin to pay attention to someone based off of what they can give us as well. That they've set, our elders have set boundaries around themselves to protect them from taking these steps of tailoring to, giving accommodation to, and, and giving influence to the person just because of how much money they have. One of those boundaries, and I was encouraged to learn this, one of, our, one of, the, one of these boundaries is that our elders do not know the name of anyone who gives to the chapel. They just see them out. They don't know who gives. And there's one, one of our elders who does, and he's the executive pastor who's on staff. And I went and I asked him, hey, when do you actually see the name of the person who, who gives and how much money they give? And he says, I absolutely try my hardest to never see the name. The only reason why I do is if a question comes up or some concern about where it's going, then he needs to kind of step in and see who it is from. But our bookkeeper handles the rest. And I'm encouraged by that, that they recognize how easy it is to step on the slippery slope of tailoring and giving accommodation to someone who has a lot of money. And, I, and, a, and a big part, I think a part of why that boundary is in place is according to Mark 12. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the street and Jesus stops his disciples and focuses in on this widow. And this widow just basically put a penny or two into the temple uh, offering plate. And he looks at his disciples and says, this widow has given much. She's actually given more than the person who came before her, even though the person that came before her gave a lot. And what Jesus is doing is he is championing generosity. He's not championing an amount. That he looks at a, a widow who does not have much and saw she was so generous in what she had and he championed that. And so, at the church, I'm encouraged that our leaders want to champion generosity according to what God has given us, not the biggest amount or the most amount of money. I, I, I'm encouraged. Another way, another way is uh, if, you, if you walk around our buildings, our buildings aren't named after the person that gave the most amount of money. And absolutely no, nothing wrong if your name is on a building, but there is a, uh, it seems to be there's a conviction historically here at the church that if we that we secretly communicate that if you give more, you will receive more honor by having a name on a building. And I know the truth of the thing is if your name's on a building, you didn't want it to be there, but the people who are raising the funds put it there. But still, there, I think that there's this belief in our leadership that says, yeah, we, we recognize, we recognize the need to champion generosity, not an amount. And now I, I, don't, I don't share this, you know, to, all right, everyone, come pat, our, come pat their backs. You know, that's not why I share this, not to boast. Here's why I share it. Because we recognize how easy it is to see the names, to send an email thanking them for how much money they've sent, to get lunch that next week with them. They've given over a certain amount to make sure we, they know to place them maybe in a position of leadership because they have a lot of funds behind them, to maybe allow their words to have more weight than someone who doesn't have a lot of funds behind their words. You see what I'm saying? It's not about boasting. It's, a, it's the reality that, that we recognize how easy it is to step on this slippery slope and not long after be in a place we don't wanna be. And so we wanna champion generosity, not necessarily an amount of money. And, and, and I, find that to be, I find that to be helpful uh, to me as I consider and look to the future of our church. And, 
And not even, you know, that, that's one modern day gold ring is financially, that we might pay special attention to someone who has a lot of money. But I asked, what, what's another one? And it was kind of interesting how if back then the gold ring symbolized a lot of wealth, but it also symbolized a lot of influence. I think another modern day gold ring is an ancient day gold ring of influence. That influence in our culture matters just as much as how much wealth you might have. And I think this is specifically towards our younger generation, that our younger generation cares a lot about influence. And I think I can prove this to just say there are many people in, in our culture whose job title is influencer, right? And it matters a whole lot. How much of a following do you have? How many subscribers do you have? How much support do you have? How well known are you? Or if I was, I mean, I read a statistic not long ago that said 55 to 60% of young people growing up want to be influencers, right? I think 20 years ago it was astronauts, but today it's, it's influencers. And that's not an inherently wrong thing, of course. But I wonder, I wonder if we as a body might pay special attention to the person of influence in hopes that that influence benefits us in a different way, right? If someone, if someone walked in here on a Sunday morning and he had a lot of influence, it's a, natural, it's a natural movement of us to kind of wanna take pictures, wanna talk to, wanna post pictures. Nothing's wrong about pictures, but why do we post? We post because we wanna show other people that we were this close with someone of influence, that, that, that their influence is benefiting us in a unique way as we post on social media and talk about who we met. And that is not wrong. Please hear me. Pictures on Instagram are not wrong. However, they could be. When I am paying so much attention to the one who has influence at the expense of the one who has no influence, right? Like those things are not wrong, but they can be when I pay special attention to them when someone who is visiting for the first time, they, they don't have 100 followers or 1,000 followers, they got 10. You know, like, how would we interact with someone who has a lot of influence at, at the chapel? And I think influence is a, is a modern day gold ring that we have to, we have to be careful about. <clears throat> another one, another modern day gold ring, it, and it's a grayer one, but it just, I wanna bring it up to stir some of our thinking here. Financially is one, influentially is another, and I wonder if relationally is another one. That we might pay special attention to those who we have relationship with and give relationship to us at the expense of someone who does not have relationship with us and cannot give relationship with us, right? And, and this is why it's a little grayer because God desires for his body to connect, to spur one, one another on, to to carry one another's burden. So to have relationship is a beautiful thing. But when we pay so much attention to the people who we have relationship with at the cost of someone we don't have relationship with, I wonder if we're paying too much attention to the gold ring of relationships. In that, I say, hey, if you're not one of my people, you'll never really see my attention. And I know it is, it, it's a grayer place, and yet I still think it's good for us to consider, good for us to, to think about as we interact with people who step on campus on a Sunday. Am I paying special attention to any of them? 
And so uh, James, is trying, James is trying to show, listen, it does, not, it does not make sense. It does not work for us to pay attention here at the expense of another. James continues. Uh, he wants to build it even more. He wants to establish this thought of how playing favorites doesn't work out in the church. And he says it in verse four. If you are paying attention to a gold ring, whatever it might be, are, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And I thought, what, what does he mean, made distinctions among yourselves? What, what's he talking about? And came to the conclusion, what's a distinction? It's just separating two things and classifying them for various reasons, right? That happens all in, in our world a lot of times, like fruit and vegetable. We separate and classify them. Where they come from, what's their anatomy? We have distinguished them. We have separated and classified them. We have distinctions all across the world. God, God himself makes distinctions, right? You have believer and unbeliever, someone who's believed in the name of Jesus, someone who has not believed in the name of Jesus. He's made that. You have the wise person, the foolish person, someone who's following the words of God, someone who is not following the words of God. You name it, distinctions are made in this world and God makes them. And so you might be thinking, well, then why does he, why does he say it in such a negative way? And I think the answer is based off these next two words, that what James is saying is it, distinctions are not bad. They become bad when you, when you make them in places they do not belong, like among yourselves. That making distinctions among ourselves do not belong. And this is not a foreign concept for us, right? We recognize places we should not make distinctions in this world. Like in the past four years, I should have learned this growing up, but I learned I should not make a distinction between what my wife is cooking for that night, right? If she's the one cooking, there's no such thing as good or bad, right? <laughs> especially, especially when I didn't lift a finger to help at all, okay? There is only wonderful. There's no distinction. And I can't wait to teach my son this as well, okay? <laughs> I, I don't make a distinction there, okay? I've learned that. We also, we also don't make distinction in our family. Favorite kid, not favorite kid. That doesn't work out. We have some stories in the Bible of people who did that, right? I personally, growing up, I think I grew up in the, in the, in the ending of the cowboy days of discipline between parent and kid. Uh, so there were some ways I was disciplined that I don't hear about anymore. I'm thankful for. They helped me develop some principles that have been true in my life. But one of those ways I was disciplined was what if I ever looked at my parents and I said to them, shut up, dad. Oh yeah, ooh, was right. Yeah, <laughs> I learned that. Sometimes a spoon would come. Other times he would say, Ryan, open your mouth. And I would open my mouth. He'd say, stick your tongue out. And it's like he had a bar of soap in his back pocket okay? And he would scrub my tongue because I had a dirty mouth at that moment, right? And as a kid, I'm thinking, okay, he says I have a dirty mouth. I guess I, I need it clean, but okay. So, and then it's kind of a funny thing. My parents would send me up into my bedroom and say, I want you to think about what you said. And on my bed, I'm like soap in my mouth, no water. I'm like, uh, I'm not thinking about what I'm said. I'm just thinking about the soap in my mouth, right? And I'm just sitting there on my bed for like 15 minutes. And kind of a funny thing, my brother and I had this secret rule that when our parents walked away from the bedroom, if I was in the room, my brother would open the door and put a cup of water on the floor. And me being the person in the room, I would take that cup and drink it 
and swish it around in my mouth. And as an act of defiance, I would go in the corner of my bedroom and spit it out in the corner, right? And that corner was so tremendously moldy. They're like, why, why is there so much mold here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> why do I tell you this? <laughs> love you, mom. Love you, dad. I know you're watching. <clears throat> I, I, I tell you this because, you know, my dad, my dad did not distinguish me and my brother. I probably had my mouth washed out five times. My older brother, at a zero, and you're probably closer there, 50 times, I bet. He did not distinguish us favorite child because my mouth was cleaner, not favorite child because his mouth is not cleaner. Because the truth of the matter is, his mouth was a whole lot cleaner than mine. He got the soap like 50 times, I got it five times, right? <laughs> but we, don't, we should not make distinctions to separate our kids and classify them according to who's our favorite. And our, and our families, that, that, does not, that does not work out. And I think what James is saying here is there are places that distinctions do not belong, like among yourselves. God has put distinctions over us and we operate in those, right? He has said, this is what it looks like for a person who is foolish. When someone is foolishly living, this is what it looks like. And then he gives us advice of how we bring that foolish believer back into the fold, ask him for repentance, encourage him, bear burden with him. He's given us the way we operate in distinctions and that he's made them. But, but James is clearly saying we should not separate and classify. There are places we should not separate and classify in the context of the body and specifically with riches. And he continues and he says, and have you not become judges with evil motives? I'm like, what's that? I think what he's doing is he's carrying this idea of distinctions through the verse. Because what's the job of a judge? To make distinctions. Guilty, innocent. And he should make these distinctions according to facts, data, evidence, witnesses. But imagine a judge who makes this distinction of innocent or guilty according to evil motives. Someone goes to the judge, hey, I got a million dollars for you if you'll make this guy innocent. That is a judge with an evil motive. The judge needs to make a distinction, but he's doing so with the wrong motive. If someone walks into the courtroom and this judge sees the color of someone's skin and makes that distinction, that is a judge with evil motives, right? And what James is saying, I think, is he's saying there's places that distinction should not be and there are motives that don't belong as we make them. And this is what's happening in the church here. A believer who is in an impoverished state sees someone walk in with a gold ring and they have an evil motive. I could benefit. They make a evil distinction. Valuable if you have wealth, not valuable if you don't have wealth. And then they play favorites. Come sit here. Don't, don't go sit here. That it often starts with the evil motive and then they make a bad distinction and then they play favorites. And James is just building, he's just building this, this, this truth we need to know when we play favorites that yes, when we do so, we combine things that shouldn't be, but we also become an evil judge. And imagine, imagine a church full of evil judges that make distinctions in places they should not be, like someone's valuable when they have a lot of riches. That won't be a church many, won't be a church many people go to. 
And imagine a church where people make distinctions with evil motives. That's not gonna be a church many people wanna go to, go to as well. And so he, he's gonna as well provide another reason of why playing favorites does not make sense. He, want, he wants to convince us even more it should not be a part of our lives. As he goes to verse five, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Like, it, what, what's he doing here? I think James is showing the irony of the situation. He's looking at the Christian and saying, hey, God has chosen and honored the poor and you have dishonored him, the poor. And you have honored the person that is dishonoring you. It's like there's some irony here. God's chosen to honor the poor, you dishonor them. And the person you honor is dishonoring you. And, and of course, we're, does, do all people who are wealthy take advantage of the poor? No, that's not true. Especially if you're a believer in the person of Jesus, that sh that, that, that's not how we operate. But universally, that makes sense. That often someone who has an advantage will use that advantage. But I think what James is doing here is he's trying to show a hole in their theology, right? Because I think we could just ask this question. Does, does God choose and have a desire for the poor to enter the kingdom? Yes. Does God choose and have a desire for the wealthy to enter the kingdom? Yes. There are scriptures that say there's some challenges there at times, but he, that desire and his choosing is still there. Now we ask the question of, were the people of that time choosing and honoring those that God wanted to be a part of the kingdom with those who have a lot of money? Yeah, they were honoring and choosing the wealthy. Were they honoring and choosing the poor? No, that there was a massive hole in who they were including into their fellowship. And they were excluding a person that God wanted to include. And James like, that does not make sense. There's a hole, see the hole? And he, I think another thing that James is doing here is he's trying to show the irony of, of their actions, right? I, I think he's bringing up a culturally accepted principle throughout time. And that is typically people who have a lot of money take advantage of people who don't have a lot of money. Hopefully not in the church, but in, in life, if we were to go to any point of time and ask on the street, hey, do people who have a lot of money take advantage of people who don't? Most people would say yes. And I think what James is saying here is Christians, you are paying special attention to someone, but newsflash, it's not gonna benefit you later down the line. You are, you, you are trying to play the wealthy, but they're, they are going to play you. You are paying attention to a gold ring, hoping it will benefit you, but it's not going to benefit you. Right, and I, there, this is, I think we could think of many places where you know, we, we think something will benefit us and then it turns around and doesn't benefit us. The go focusing on this gold ring is not going to benefit you. There's, a, uh, there's an author, his name's Tolkien. And some of you have been hoping I've br I'll bring this guy up. Tolkien, writ he wrote many books with many characters. And it is interesting, one of the characters he writes about is a guy named Smeagol and he finds a gold ring, right? I have a picture of him. He finds a gold ring. 
<laughs> That's right. I won't do it. You say it, not me. <laughs> and he doesn't just find a gold ring. You can see it in his eyes. He focuses on it. He, and he believes it will benefit him. You just keep reading in, in the series of the Lord of the Rings and you'll find out it does not benefit him. It actually hurts him later down the line. That what he thought would help does not help. And it actually led to a very sad ending for this character. And, and so I think James just trying to reveal a hole in their theology and, and show that gold ring is not going to benefit you. And I think he, he builds the last part of this truth that we need to know. Yes, we combine things that should not be of faith and favoritism. Yes, we become an evil judge. But when we play favorites, we also exclude those that God wants to include in his family and in, in fellowship. And James, that, James says that does, that, does not, that does not make sense. What I, what I love about this passage as well is he's, he's established what we should not do. And now he gives us what, should, what we should do when we play favorites. He provides the solution as well as try to convince us of why we should not do it. And, he see, and we see this in James 2.8. He says, all right, here's the solution. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures of you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That the solution, the solution to playing favorites is simply loving other people as you wanna be loved. And I ask the question of, well, how do I wanna be loved? I wanna be loved as Christ loved. That's the best love I've ever received. And if I wanna be loved as Christ loved, and he showed no partiality, I then extend that love to everyone, regardless of if they have a gold ring or no gold ring, because it's what he did. And why, and why I love this verse is because by providing the solution of favoritism in loving your neighbor as yourself, it implies that when I play favorites, I don't love the poor, I don't love myself, and I also don't love the person who is wealthy. Which is surprising. You might say, well, you're paying special attention to them. How, how would you not be, how would they not like that? How would they not being loved? And, I, and I, I, asked that, I asked that question and pretty easily some thoughts came to mind. How do I hurt the poor? How do I hurt the poor when I play favorites? I look at them and without saying, my actions say this. Hey, when, when you have less or you can give less, you are less. Don't have finances, can't give finances to me in some capacity, you won't see my attention. Don't have influence, can't give influence, you won't see my attention. Maybe even, don't have relationship with me, can't give it, you won't see my attention. That we look at them and we tell them something about themselves that is not true at all. Another reason, another way we hurt the poor uh, my old youth pastor used to say this statement and it just stuck with me. He said, what people, what, what people see to be true about the people of God is what they assume to be true about the character of God, right? What people see to be true about the people of God is what they assume to be true about the character of God. Meaning that our actions in the positive or negative sense develop theology about God with people who are observing us that I am, help, I am helping someone 
build a theology about God. And when I play favorites, I actually help them build a bad theology about God. Because if they see me playing favorites, why would they conclude that God is, is different? And so when, when I play favorites, I, I look at them and say, hey, Jesus values you, just not as much. Because I value you, just not as much. People in the passage were doing it, go sit over there in the nice place. Oh yeah, you can be here, just go sit somewhere else. And that, that is what happens, that's how I hurt the poor. I help them build a bad picture of who God is based off of my actions. But I don't just hurt the person who does not have a gold ring, I also hurt myself as my dependence on God decreases. Imagine we're in a tight spot, the college building burned down, because some co crazy college student was cooking marshmallows in there or something, and college room burns down. And if, we, if I had set a pattern of paying special attention to someone who could benefit me financially, I will go to that person before I go to God in my need. Not often my, my dependence on God decreases. So I hurt myself. I also hurt my own reputation when I play favorites. Because I, I, I look at the world and by my actions, I shout, hey, I care more about a gold ring than a beating heart. If you got something that flashes, that's where my attention will be. You got a beating heart, sorry, just not there. And the world looks at us and comes to conclusions in places that should not, should not belong. But I don't, I don't just hurt myself, I don't just hurt the poor, I also hurt people who are rich in something, do have the gold ring. As I look at them and I say, hey, when you have much, you are much. Your value's based on how much you have or what you can give. And, and that's, that's, that's true, kind of in the same vein. Hey, that's what your value's based off of. It's on what you can give, not who you are. And if I was to ask, Everyone in this room who has a million dollars in their bank account to stand up, they would not stand up because they do not want to be known by how much money they have. But when I play favorites, that's exactly what I tell them. And imagine a person of wealth who gets paid special attention to, loses the wealth and goes to the person who does not have wealth. <laughs> they are going to develop a theology of God that's way worse as well because as your wealth leaves, so does my attention. And I, I, hurt, I hurt those who have the gold ring. I hurt them as well. And so the, the solution of James is that you would love as you want to be loved. That we would look at all people with a beating heart and extend our gifts of love regardless, regardless of what they have, drive in with, wearing, Totally. And, and this is just true as I think about the influencer too. That the in, I've seen interviews of people who have influence and their deep desire is that they would have some normality back in their life. That they could go buy a jug of milk at the, at the store without paparazzi and people taking pictures. And I wonder if we actually honor the person of influence by just by treating them like any other. We honor the person with wealth by treating them like any other. And you might say, well, Ryan, how do I, how do I navigate this, this realm of person 
who I have relationship with and tending to people who I don't have relationship with. with. Should it be 50-50? And I, I just, I think the life of Jesus, I think the life of Jesus solves that question as well. That Jesus relied on the Father. He said, Lord, whoever you want me to talk to, would you bring it to my attention? He abided, he abided in the Father. Lord, if there's person you want me to give attention to, would you reveal that to me? And I think what was true of Jesus, because he had to know, do I talk to the crowds? Do I talk to my, the three disciples? Do I talk to the 12? Do I talk to the 50? He was always having to make this, this, uh, these decisions of who he goes and who he gives attention to. And I think he was just always abiding in the Father as he did that. And so we walk onto campus with this prayer. Lord, would you reveal who you want me to pay attention to today? Maybe some weeks it's 80% the person that I have relationship with. Maybe some weeks it's 80% the person who I have no relationship with, who are not my people. And yet we, as we abide in Jesus, as we rely on the spirit, as we rely on the spirit, I think we pay attention to the place that God, that God wants us to. And as, as Matt comes back on stage, we're about to play a song that I think is really helpful in our understanding as, we, as the scriptures show us, we should not play favorites. And it, we sang it a little earlier, it's that everyone matters. And I'm gonna ask that we would stay seated for a part of it and Matt will, will invite us to stand up. But as we are seated, that we would simply come before the Lord and ask a question. Lord, is there a place that I'm paying special attention to any modern day gold rings? Whether it be finances, influence, maybe in relationship, if one doesn't come to mind, that's great, fantastic. Maybe one has already stirred up, bubbled up in your own mind as we've been walking through the passage. But I ask that you would, you would start the conversation with Jesus to see if there is one. And if one comes up, would you confess that according to the scriptures? But also give a couple seconds to consider how would, how would me loving my neighbor as myself solve me playing favorites? And of course, ask the Spirit to help you as, you as you conclude that. So not just recognize where the gold ring is, but also confess. And not just confess about it, but also ask for help as you seek to love people as you wanna be loved. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. We're so thankful you, you showed no partiality in your gift of love. And so we wanna follow that example. The church is built as we, in many ways, as we love all people just as you did. And so we need your help there, Lord. We love you, amen. Everyone matters to the Lord. Everyone matters to the Lord. Prideful and the prodigal, the wasteful and the wanderer, everyone matters. So he laid his life down, and he Jesus laid his life.
stand together. you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints so I hope you have a great day today we can pray for you in any way we have men and women available between auditoriums that would love to pray with you uh, don't leave without taking advantage of that and God bless we'll see you next time <laughs>